We're coming to what I believe is a very pivotal time in our church's life. The fact that we called you to prayer as the pastors of this congregation was not by accident, but rather our direct response to what we felt like the Spirit of God was calling us to say and to do as a congregation. Perhaps you're running a little behind. Perhaps you've been busy this spring and you know we've had a call to prayer, but somehow you have not yet centered yourself around the thought that is described in Greg Pruitt's book, Extreme Prayer, that really it is when we reach our spot of desperation that we are really ready to pray in an extreme way. Perhaps you've been busy and you've managed to change your thoughts and reflections a little more than normal, but no one would call what you've done yet to this point extreme. That's okay. It's okay because God understands your trying and your striving, but God also covets and calls for your presence in his presence. God wants you to seek his face in a ways uncharacteristically from where you have been seeking him in the past. He wants you to focus on the work of his kingdom in this place through us. You say, now, preacher, how do you know that that's what God wants from us? Because I just told you. (laughs) And I told you that because we feel it in our roots. God is about to do something that you've been waiting for a long time. Don't you want to be in on that and not sitting on the sidelines? Because I'm telling you this, once we get started with God's plan, we're not holding back. We're not going to wait on you anymore. We're going on. And you don't want to just be drug along by the current. You want to be stimulating that current with your prayers. There's not a one of us here that can't pray more. There's not a one of us here that can't focus better. If we can just get ourselves into that place, that sweet spot, if you will, where our minds and our hearts are consumed with the thoughts of God and the work of his kingdom. Now, we're going to talk about that a lot today. What the the pathway of prayer, not the pathway in prayer, but the pathway of prayer, how it's designed in Scripture to work. It's been illuminated to you in many ways in the reading of Greg's book, and certainly also the verses that he quotes here in 23rd and 24th verse in 1 John 3. But I think it, when you stand back from the individual chapters and you begin to put them all together, you begin to get a sense that there is a way to pray that's much more effective, perhaps, than what we've been practicing. And that's what he's calling for. He is calling for us to pray in such a way that we have an absolute, desperate learning to trust in the presence of God and in the ways of God in our hearts. And we need that. We need that in the most important ways. I would like an hour today. I need an hour today. I need you to stay and be late to lunch. And I'm not for sure an hour is enough. I got started this morning. I came into the worship while they were practicing. And I got to worship more than you, so I'm ahead of you. So catch up. (laughs) Listen hard. Respond quickly. Because exactly what they were singing about today is what we're trying to accomplish in this period of time that God has given us to work together. Come, Holy Spirit. 
Come, Holy Spirit. The presence of our Lord. Nothing is worth more. Nothing is worth more than the presence of our Lord. Say it. Nothing is worth more. Nothing is even close, the song says. Not even close. When we get there, when we get there as a congregation, as a united voice of God, when we are unified behind what God wants to do, God's own agenda, as opposed to our agenda, then at that point in that place in time, the miracles and the power of God can be unleashed in us. According to two books, Greg's book, and also the book that God happened to write through a few helpers. In the scripture, God is yearning to give himself to us. But you know what? I'm going to take you back to a time when many of you were much younger. Or to some of you, at the time where you are now. And to some of you, to a time that you're not there yet. I want to take you to the teenage years. I know, it's a dark place. <laughs> but it's a dark place filled with light. Because you see, in a teenager's life... The struggles that they are going through as they are growing up is not unlike the struggles for the rest of us, the rest of our life. The only difference is some of us are older teenagers. I'm still a teenager. That means I still have struggles. That means sometimes I don't always act out the best of who I am. That means that sometimes I get so busy I forget the most important thing in my life is the presence of God. You don't have to be 15 to get in that spot, do you? And when you get to be 20, do you pass that spot away? I'm tempted to have all you 20-year-olds stand up and make you living examples of how, no, you don't get past that spot. But that might seem a little too personal, right? So let's just realize that we're all at that spot. But we are able to look back and realize that if we had allowed more of the presence of God into our thinking and into our planning, we wouldn't be where we are today. That's a sobering thought when you get to be as old as, as young as I am. There's so much more that I could have done. So much different that I could have become sooner. Had I learned to rely upon the presence of God and the conversation with God to shape me, to control me, and to use me. Because, you see, we fight against that presence of God often. And we don't stand up and say, well, I'm going to war today with you, God. We don't do that. We just don't find time to God, which is the same thing. One is more active and one is more passive, but the result is the same. As long as we struggle against the presence of God in our life, as long as we struggle against what God wants to tell us to do, as long as we continue to say, well, your word seems to say this, but I'm not so sure that's right. We're not going to feel the power and the presence of God. We're going to call the Holy Spirit to come, and then 15 minutes later, we're going to forget that the Holy Spirit is still there, waiting to do the work of the Holy Spirit within us. We have tasted and seen the sweetest of loves. Wow. Where our heart becomes free and our shame is undone. 
in the presence of God and the forgiveness of God, wow, it is like being 15 again. The hour I spent between 9.15 and 10.15 when I came down here was long because I was ready to go at 9.15 when I left here. I, wanted, I started to cancel Sunday school, just tell you to quit it and come on in. But I've heard people have gotten in trouble for that, so God forbid, I don't want to get in trouble. The glory of your presence is what we long for. Our prayers are the songs of our heart. And our songs become the prayers of our lives. Whenever we can sing those words and live through them, then we are getting to that place in life that we're seeking. We started that call to prayer a long time ago, and I'm asking you today to pray unceasingly throughout this week for the TLT team. There's going to be meeting Monday night and then also Saturday morning and early Saturday afternoon. I want you to pray for those who are coming to come along beside us. To come along beside us with the benefit of having gathered all this information that they've been gathering from our city, from our church, from the responses of those team members who are coming. It's it's really remarkable how 20 to 30 opinions, when they're gathered together from the life of a congregation, can so hit the nail on the head about who we are and who God is calling us to be. I know I've been there. I've experienced it. I believe we're going to experience it again in this place at this time. You pray for us to have a clear sense of our mission, a clear what God's call on us is, that we might have a clarified vision, what we need and the strategies we need to accomplish it. Pray that we might have a dream that is so big, that is so outrageous that it couldn't possibly be ours. It could only happen if God works it through us and in our midst. Pray for that kind of dream. The kind of our dream, dreaming that fulfills the ideals of the scriptures. Oh, I know we'll never get all of them fulfilled. But if we don't dream, you know the best part of being a teenager is your dreams. Do you know that? Now, I need to talk to you all just a moment. If there are any other teenagers sitting around that are not over here, I'm talking to you too, but there's more of them here, okay? So hear your ears. Don't you give up your dreams because many of the adults around you seems to have stopped dreaming. The dreams of the youth are precious, and in them flow the lifeblood of the church. It's been so for a long, long time. Because you see, you haven't yet learned to be bridled. Oh, we've got the bridle on you. But your mouth, if you ever, I don't know if you know anything about horses, but you know a horse gets used to the bridle. But when the bridle is first put into the horse's mouth, he fights that, that bit. He hates that feeling of that metal in his mouth. As time goes on, that bit gets more comfortable. And I'm going to tell you a secret. A lot of adults got comfortable with the bridle a long time ago. They need to yearn to be uncomfortable. We need to, adults have the hard work. You're trying to visualize your dreams and picture what your dreams are. Many adults are trying just to have a dream again. The world beats you down. And as you get older, you tend to give up and give out on, sometimes on people. Sometimes on God's mission. Don't let it happen to you. Fight it. 
Be a rebel in that sense. Be a rebel. Dream the best for everybody. That's what God is doing. Why don't we just join God in doing that? Why don't we as adults throw away all that we've learned sometimes, especially that part of what we've learned, that tames us down? We're too tame. I hate Christians to be called tame. And we're tame and we're boring to some people. I hate that. And I spent 35 years trying to shock people that that's not true about all of us. But sometimes it's a hard job, you know. We love to get in our trail and just stay there. We've been doing this for 30 years. It was good 30 years ago, and it's good now. Some people would call that trail a rut. And lately, when you had the ice and snow, if the snow gets rutted enough, it's hard to get in and out of those ruts, isn't it? It's getting, once you get in, boy, it's good just to drive right where somebody else is driven. And if you drive right where most people are driving, you'll drive yourself right straight to a place you don't want to be. Churches have got to get out of their rut. The world is changing. We don't like that, but the world has already changed in very many ways. And the church is still trying to decide if they're worth us getting out of our rut for. I believe they are. Don't you get me wrong. Once you get out of the rut, you're still driving a car. We're still riding with Jesus. We're still on the road to glory. We're still seeking his presence, but we need to be smarter. We need to pray more extremely. That we'll be clear about how God can use our efforts in this world in which we live in order to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Now, When that happens, what should happen is that our souls should be on fire, just like the new song David introduced us to today. It's kind of hard. I know we love our 30 songs. You know, in that way, we're just like every other Methodist church I've ever been in. They had 30 hymns. You've got 30 songs. 30 to 50, you know, anywhere in there. 30 a lot. 15 you know, over and over as much as we can. And then, you know, 15 more we like a lot. And then, oh, someone will sing just to make the music director and the preacher happy. We are all like that. But the reality is that that music brings us into that presence of God and unites us, our music and our prayers together until we get a clear sense of what it means to have our soul on fire. Running for your heart, God. Running for your heart until our soul's on fire. Longing for your ways sets our souls on fire. Longing for your ways. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. The way of righteousness is the way of life. There's a real connection here in this pathway of prayer that I think becomes clear as you read through that book and as you search the scriptures and begin to put things together. Extreme prayers, as defined by Greg, is this. Intentionally praying... The kinds of prayer that tap into all of Jesus' promises about prayer in a way that achieves maximum kingdom impact. It's in your book. You probably got it underlined just like I do. You need to learn that. Because here's what I believe. 
I believe that if we're going to get on, now I'm going to do what Greg did. I'm going to say, no, I, yes, we know you need to pray the adoration prayer, the prayer of confession, the prayer of thanksgiving, the prayer of intercession. And we don't even have to tell you about the prayer of intercession. Probably 90% of your prayers are about intercession, aren't they? How long have you been praying for that unsaved rascal in your family? A long time, right? That is not the most effective way to pray, Greg says. You're trying to get God to do what God has already declared God would not do. I think I might have added a little something to what Greg said there, but it's the truth. Whether he said it or I said it. Because you see, God gives every human the opportunity to respond to him. He makes no one into a believer, and you can't either. I know what you're thinking. You remember, but we prayed for 20 years, and that guy finally believed. Uh, well, yeah, that's true. They do believe that. And it's fine to pray for them, but don't let that be that all you're praying for. You might save 20 more by praying about God's word to be shared with unbelievers who haven't heard yet in the same amount of time you spent working on that one. You say, oh, is it 20 more than the one? No, unless I'm going to battle, then I want the 20, not the one. Or if I'm counting souls, yes. They're all supremely valuable. But if we spend all our time locked up on those who have already locked their hearts against God, what are we accomplishing? Because God witnesses to them through others, and we can pray for that. That's the way to pray for them. Pray that witnesses go to them. But don't pray about them changing their hearts because that's between them and God. You can't get that to happen. You can pray that the right person speaks the right words, but it's still up to them. You say, preacher, you're saying some weird stuff. I don't think I'm saying that much different than what Greg said. In fact, he makes that same point in a different kind of way. And it has to do with how we pray. Because here's what I think. I believe after about 35 years of watching people that they pray most about their own lives, their own wants and needs, the lives of their loved ones and their wants and sometimes their needs more than they pray about kingdom concerns. The reason Greg Prude is so convinced that God will answer the prayers of the unified body of Christ when they pray, if they're praying in Jesus' name, is because then they're praying about what God wants on the earth, not what God's going to do for them. We love to pray for ourselves. And you say, well, I don't. Here's my challenge for you, starting now. Every time you pray, I want you to write down what you pray about. I want you to notice with your little watch or your little phone clock how long you're praying about each thing. I want you to tell me what your mind is mostly on. Is it on getting that college education for your aging teenagers? Is it on about your retirement account? Is it about that uncle who just won't believe? Or is it about God's strategy of bringing the kingdom to earth? Because you see, that is even what Jesus was most concerned about, even to the point of death that we're about to remember. And you say, yeah, but that's just not nearly as much fun as praying about being able to afford a new car. You know, life is funny. Last night we went to see a, a program 
I left her name somewhere. I left my name, I think I left it on my desk, and I carried that card all morning to be sure to remember her name. Her last name was Robertson, Jean Robertson. Is that right, Sally? Where are you? Jeannie Robertson is a humorist, a stand-up comedian. And I watched her come out on stage. You always wonder what you're getting, but I didn't buy the tickets, so I felt good about it. I could hardly lose. We had a great seat. We were right down front. And she came out. She had to have help just to get to a rocking chair that had been placed in the front. And she told us quickly why she had that. She didn't want to worry about it. She'd had knee surgery like less than two weeks ago. Now, having had both, having had surgery on both knees, I'm already admiring the woman. Then she told us she was 71. And she comes out, props herself up with one good leg and one not so good, and I watched her for an hour and a half kind of squirm and trying to get relief. And then when she got up to leave the stage, they almost had to carry her off of it because that leg had stiffened up. So been there, got the, got the medal on each side. But what she did, she talked about life. Life in her family and life around the people she is. She talked about how things worked practically in life and how much humor there was in life. And she made me remember how I grew up laughing. I grew up in a laughing family. Now, we didn't have a proverbial pot to uh, use as a cover for the lid, but we were happy anyway. We found joy and humor in everything we did in life, and we found it together, laughing at ourselves and laughing at others. You know, people don't laugh enough in the world in which we live. And you know why? They're too busy trying to get something else. We're so busy getting that we don't have time to just enjoy what life is really about. It's about relationships. It's about seeing the humor in ourselves and in life. And I think in prayer it's the same way. We're so busy trying to get our needs met in prayer that we miss the real joy of praying which is the presence of Almighty God that becomes so real that our hearts are on fire. Not for ourselves, but for the world. Not even so much for individuals, but that the people in Pakistan might not hate people who are worshiping in church so that we as Americans might get concerned about the starving around the world. Do you read the scriptures? It says, how can you say that you love God if you have material possessions of this earth and you're fine with somebody being hungry? How can you say that? How can we? How do we manage to do it? It's not profitable to feed the earth. We could do it. We know how, but we just don't know how to make money doing it because they don't have any. So we just watch them get hungry. And you say, what are you mad at? I'm mad about a lot this morning. I've got a holy anger going on in this morning. I've got a holy anger going on because God intends to save this earth. God intends to bless this earth. God intends and is yearning to use people who are praying together to change this earth. Those are the kind of prayers that get answered. Those are the kind of blessings that God is waiting to give us. I can, can you imagine how God feels? Lord, thank you for healing me. Thank you for taking care of me. And, and I love you, and I want you to bless everybody. Not anybody in particular, just everybody. Bless them all, Lord. You know, God so loves to be noticed by prayers that have no point to them, really. How would we know if God blessed everybody? We don't even know everybody. Who is everybody? How about I say, God bless Doug, then you can watch me and see if I get blessed. At least that's a specific prayer, right? 
I mean, we need to pray specifically for what we want God to do. Because God gets glory when he gets the credit. Not by accident, but on purpose. That was, that's what Greg's trying to tell us in that book. And that's what we need to clue into is this extreme prayer part of it. I need to turn the page. It says right here, how does prayer work? When we believe, when we live faithfully by obeying God's commandments, when we love people as well as our God. Prayer just doesn't work otherwise. I know some people who've been in church most of their life. Of course, it's in other congregations. It's not here. I know these kind of people. But they've had their tails in church all their life. Sitting on the front row, made two, went to the back row, came back and sat in the middle. And they've been in the middle ever since. Kind of on fire at times, but quickly extinguishing it. They've been there because, you see, they've not been that serious about being faithful. Well, they say they have trust in God, just not enough to really trust God with everything in their life. They're taking care of most of that themselves in America. We have that advantage or disadvantage according to how you want to look at it. The disadvantage being that when you can do so much for yourself, you just don't think you need God that much. That's the disadvantage of wealth. That's the problem that a lot of Americans have without even realizing it. We're so self-sufficient, we don't have to be God-sufficient. We don't have to need God in the way a lot of people do just to have a bite of food to eat. We don't know what that's like. You see, once we trust God, if we respond to that by faithful living and obeying God, I know there's a lot to be said about that, but that's next Sunday's sermon, is once we we get to that place, our faithfulness will always be relative. I get that. But it's important that our hearts are tuned toward God to be as faithful as we can. Without that, what it says in this chapter in 1 John is how can you pretend to love God? God by simply saying you do if you're not doing the works of God. You know, in the previous verses, it says it's easy to tell the difference between a good man and an evil man. Just watch what they're doing. Don't listen to what they say. Oh, my Lord. This is where the world that we live in today has got the branding iron on the backside of the church. This is why they call us such hypocrites. A lot of bosses go to church. Then they go to work. And they act like tyrants. They don't act like loving people. Those women just got to stop that. (laughs) That's a double-sided edge sword there. You know, woman can be a boss. Just want to remind you of that. And sometimes they're not the best of bosses. Sometimes they take better care of themselves by far than they take of their employees, male or female. Sometimes it's about massing more wealth. Not for God. Sorry. It's just not of God. Because you see, we can say we love people all we want, but if we don't give to them what we can, we're only fooling ourselves. We're not fooling God. God hasn't got time for those kind of prayers. You say, oh, did you say God's not listening to my prayers? No, I just said it doesn't give them a lot of time. You see... Praying in Jesus' name, once we believe in love and 
doing our best to keep his commandments. When we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. That means we are praying in such a way that our prayers resonate, as he says, with Jesus' character. What would Jesus pray about what you're about to pray about? How would he phrase it? Would he even pray about it? Would he just mention it and go on to something more important? Would he? Oftentimes, I think the answer is yes. Do you pray persistently? He uses the word even shamelessly. Reminding Jesus of what he promised. He said we must pray specifically. Looking for visible results because they are what build the kingdom of God. We must pray, pray and search in that specificity for the clarity of our mission and the goals and dreams we have for this congregation. We're almost there. I can feel it in my bones. God is going to be revealing his plan. We need to pray for unity because he calls when the church prays together in unity a symphony. Yeah, you know, this group who plays music up here, they, they ought to all be shot. You know, they're so talented, they make me tired. They just play all that cool stuff. They make you want to dance in, through worship. Okay, I know some of you have never danced in worship, but, you know, it's all right. It's still possible. You said, well, we never danced in my first 50 years in church. Well, that doesn't mean you can't dance in the last 50. You, you can get so filled with joy and so filled with presence that you can't stand still. Because what your heart has been longing for has become a burning fire in your soul. And others have actually taken first place in your life. Others. Others. Oh, my Lord. What are we going to do when we get there? We're going to have a fun time. Is what we're going to do. We need to know when God is answering those specific prayers. And if we're unified in asking for them, his blessings will come. I'm going to stop, not because I'm through, because I'm going to keep going next week. But I think about the prayers when God answers them, and we pray specifically what a difference that makes. When we spend more time Realizing our desperation and our need for God. When we become aware enough of how we're falling short as a church, as individuals, that is the church united, then out of that kind of desperation and panic, we'll see God's plan for us. God does not plan. For First Church Carrollton to sit on 30 acres of land that he gave them to be comfortable on. And God does not care about the Corps of Engineers or the city of Carrollton and what they think we can or can't do with this land any more than he cares about their rules that say we can only meet outside. I don't know, what is it, two or three times? I never pay attention to it. Don't tend to start now here. It's a church, belongs to God. We'll worship how we see fit, when we see fit, and we'll go to court if we need to. 
but God does not intend to have these empty seats or for you all, all to go home. I'd be a lot better off if I had a second congregation to preach to because I don't get it all out in one time in a Sunday morning. <laughs> I need two congregations, and we need two congregations because it needs a 1,000 of us out there in this city with hearts of fire looking for the kingdom of God and the actions that God wants us to take to bring it about on this earth because that's how we glorify God. That's how God is glorified when he builds your schools and your daycares and your preschools and your worship and your Sunday schools and your missions and your evangelism all into a big ball of fire that the world goes, oh, my Lord, what happened down there? Did you catch that down there? We're not up there where the big boys are living on the top of the hill. We're down here where real people live. You know that when you started the school, it was started so that Christian education would be available and attainable for average people in Carrollton, Texas. It's not that way now. I know families who want to see their kids, but they cannot afford what it costs. Paul Morrell had a dream, and it turned into reality, but along the way of that dream becoming a reality, something went wrong. Because now it's become too much like every other private school instead of like a school for people to learn about the faith that everybody can retain to. I think I gave away a little bit about what God's been saying to me. Probably made some of the school board members nervous. David, just don't pay attention. It won't come back again until the next board meeting. How hard are you praying? How hard are you praying? How important to you is what God's going to do on this 30 acres? What are you willing to give up and to give in order to see God's dream come true? Pray for this committee. Pray for us all as we seek God's face. Last Saturday this month, you're going to come in here and pray all day long about just that. You'll be praying about what God's calling you to do. In the month of April, by the end of April, the middle of May, we're going to have a plan. I believe it. I believe God's made that clear to me. We're going to have clarity about what we're going to do. And all summer long, we're going to start doing it and getting ready to do it by the fall. Pray for clarity. Don't give out. I know it's the third month, but you've been resting now. You've had a vacation. You don't have to give all that extra time at work. Give some of that new energy back to praying for this place, for this mission. God, these are your people, and you love them dearly. They're your children. You say so in the scripture. You, you, you exhibit it in so many ways. So now I'm just going to ask, Lord, that you honor their prayers, that you bring us together in the kind of way that you will be glorified. 
so that the mission of Jesus might be accomplished on this earth. I ask it all in the name of the precious one, the one who loved us so, the Christ. In his name I pray. Amen.